As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. This week, we're going to try and remember any highlights from the uneventful Manchester derby preview Premier League games against Sheffield United and Leeds. We're going to talk a little bit about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's upcoming two-year anniversary as Manchester United manager and mention the Europa League draw. To help me make sense of all of this, I'm joined by my two Manchester United strike partners, my fellow United beat writer, Mr. Laurie Utter. Laurie, how are you? Hey, Carl, I'm doing good, thanks. How was the Manchester derby on the weekend? <laughs> yeah, we're we doing this now, are we? Uh, yeah. You were uh... in Old Trafford <laughs> and I, you, read, you wrote a really, really good piece that I, I would have struggled to write the same amount of words uh, and you said it was quite fun in the stadium so really <laughs> well i went on on soon and, and, and chapman's podcast uh, yesterday and, and mark chapman decided to go off and bang his head against a wall when i suggested that i actually quite enjoyed it and it sounded quite violent the the uh, you know the feel, <laughs> real force that he was going with so obviously i've called it differently to him but i don't know listen i was there it obviously wasn't the most entertaining in the kind of classic sense of the word but i just found that after the chaos of, of leipzig you could see the adjustments that united had made and there was a few little battles going on off the board and yeah I, I don't know I just I found it quite engaging sort of being there but I appreciate that that didn't you know that's not necessarily the case for everybody and didn't necessarily translate on television but I did then the next day on, on Sunday go to the under 23s derby uh, which had a lot more uh, sort of authentic Manchester rivalry about it there was a red card there was certainly some meaty tackles Brandon Williams got stuck in Liam Delap, who plays for City Roy Delap's son uh, he certainly got stuck in and Nicky Butt had a little bit of a row on the touchline with Man City's manager so no it was way. all yeah it was good it was good fun so yeah we can we can touch on that a little bit as well because we've got, got a piece on that but I'll I'll let you introduce Andy first we can touch on that I really enjoy the fact that every time you mention Liam Delap, we always have to stress he is son of Rory <laughs> Um, in like true Viking mythology style. But it's time for the big intro. He is editor of United We Stand. He also is a contributing writer to Manchester United for The Athletic. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? Hi, Carl. I'm still annoyed about going out to Champions League. I know we're not going to dwell on this, <laughs> but I'm still really annoyed about it. So I'm with Laurie when he talks about not seeing the Manchester derby as bad as other people did. I actually took some positives from it. I was delighted United didn't go a goal behind, didn't concede a goal. And although it was like a training match, I thought United actually defended really well. And looking at the games ahead, I'm optimistic that 
the league table can be climbed, especially as rivals have got some difficult matches as well. But I'm still annoyed about Leipzig. I really am. That that first 13 minutes is going to take me a good month to clear. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that. So let's crack on. Before we get started, listener, right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can get another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to take advantage. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Okay. That's not me banging my head against the wall, but that is my reaction to a very lackluster Manchester derby. Uh, a game where at the hour mark, I remember thinking, this is a terrible game, but Manchester United aren't losing, so I'll take it. Laurie, you were in the stadium. You said it was quite fun watching all the off-the-ball battles. So what did you see that perhaps some of us didn't see in, on television? <laughs> well, I think also, just touching on Andy's point, the context is important. So, you know, <laughs> I had I had people, various, you know, fans or, or you know, non-fans texting me going, United are going to get battered by, you know, Guardiola City. Or, Ollie's under pressure. It's going to be chaos. Uh, you know, it's going to be City tearing United apart. And it wasn't that. Now, listen, obviously some of that was Guardiola's doing. You know, he played two sort of, you know, defensive-minded midfielders, I suppose, and, and perhaps didn't really take the handbrake off City. But then also, I think, you know, Solskjaer's approach and United's players made sure that that was the case. And I, I again, I got battered for tweeting this, but, you know, United's possession, 46%, <laughs> uh, was the most that they've had against City since 2015 and, and sort of like the 11th most of any Premier League side against uh, Pep's uh, City. So it just sort of seemed like a, a bit of a different approach. You know, United have won both the matches last season with 28% against City. So it was counter-attacking football. And, you know, Solskjaer got criticised for the fact that he can only play counter-attacking football. This was something different, a bit more, you know, controlling the game. And I, I did get a load of replies, um, you know, the office themed replies where, you know, people were saying, well, that's the real quiz, isn't it? You know, the possession, which <laughs> I appreciate. It doesn't translate to points. You know, I think people would rather have a 1-0 win, you know, with 30% possession than, than, than that, than, than a draw with 46. But I just thought, given the context, given everything else, it, it kind of made sense to me. And listen, it's not, they can't keep doing that because they've had it against Chelsea, 0-0. They've had it against Arsenal where, listen, it was a 0-0 apart from Paul Pogba mm-hmm. making a, a foolish foul uh, to give Arsenal a penalty. And we've seen since that Arsenal certainly no great shakes but I think it was a reaction to the the 6-1 against Spurs making sure that at least they weren't going to lose in, in in such a way again and you know whilst they might have won a game with a bit more you know flowing thrilling attacking football they could equally have lost it and given the fact that the points total this season isn't going to be as high for winning the title as it has been in previous seasons everyone seems to be dropping points at various moments and this this weekend was another example of that United just staying in touch and not allowing the other sides to beat them whilst obviously trying to win the game they're not going out and just playing for a nil-nil you know there were opportunities there for them you know the set pieces certainly they looked like they'd worked on them really well Luke Shaw with a, with a couple of really good in-swinging deliveries um, again you know is that the influence of Alex Tellez um, Tellez <laughs> sorry showing that you can take, you know, take a free take a corner take a free kick put across in I thought he was the best performer Luke Shaw I, I know um, he gets stick from time to time but I thought it did his work really, really well, accomplished uh, sort of defensive and, and in attack. So, yeah, that was kind of why I was a bit more positive about it. But, but I suppose I might be in a minority there. And, <laughs> and certainly, as I say, that the, the derby the next day, you know, the uh, the under twenty three certainly had uh, more more about it from a you know a, from a, a perspective of, of, of spectacle. Um, yeah, there's much more engaging action going on. I want to throw this to Andy right now. We're about a quarter of the season through, and. 
I've been in the Opta archives recently and talked to some very intelligent people and they tell me the average total for a team that's going to win the title is going to be around about 79 to 80 points. Manchester United currently have 20. Andy, was this a point well earned on the way to a Champions League top four push? Or is this United slipping away into Europa League mediocrity? I think it was important that United were not defeated uh, following that game in Leipzig, which I'm not going to mention anymore. <laughs> and and I don't think that... I'm just not as, as negative as other people about it. Now, United's next game's against Sheffield United, who've not won all season against Leeds United. It's vital that Manchester United win the games against these teams from Yorkshire and looking forward beyond that there's a lot of winnable games um, rivals are playing each other it's very unpredictable if you're pushing towards asking me where whether United can win the league or not I don't expect it but it's only two weeks ago that Manchester United were 33 to 1 way way outsiders to win the title and look at the results of the other teams Liverpool are not running away with it they were held at Fulham. I saw part of that game on Sunday. Manchester City are below Manchester United. Tottenham are near the top, but they're banned from winning trophies. That's <laughs> that's gov- a government rule. Arsenal. Arsenal, who won at Old Trafford. I mean, that result looks more frustrating as we go on. I think there's an upward trend with United's league form because the team started so badly. And still, the home record is pretty dreadful. But the away record's incredible. And I think there's improvements. And Laurie touched on the possession in the derby. And I mentioned it straight after the game as well. And that's not really what people want to hear. And I had reactions, people saying, what, are you serious? Uh, But I am serious because I think it's a sign of progression. And there were passages of play when Manchester United played PSG at Old Trafford where United were the dominant team for 10, 20, 30 minutes. And when PSG came to Old Trafford the previous time, that wasn't happening because United weren't good enough to do that. They were playing on the counter-attack and they were completely outclassed. So I do believe there's there's an improvement. And now what United have got to do in December is win matches, win more matches, continue this, this decent league form, drawing against the Manchester City team who were so good at Old Trafford in derbies in the last 10 years is no disgrace. The game would have been different with fans. Of course it would have been. And I saw people complaining about Harry Maguire hugging John Stones after the match. I don't think that was a big deal, to be honest. They're mates with each other. They probably don't see each other all the time. And I don't think that Harry Maguire had a bad game at all. I thought he was one of Manchester United's best um, players, along with the other defenders, Luke Shaw and Maguire, they, they would be the two. Mm-hmm. So we can live with, with that derby result. What is really important now is that United win and get a good run together and that league table could look really interesting because of the results of of the others i'm quite optimistic the problem is when i get optimistic i get let down by this manchester united team (laughs) and i think that ollie will be running out of chances you know if he'd lost to sheffield united like he lost against watford last december people would start to say this manager is incapable of getting the, the, the team to win against the, the, the bottom sides. And that would be fair comment as well. So it's really important that United get some good wins together and hopefully continue to climb up the table. And there's still that game in hand. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The games are coming thick and fast for Manchester United. They play four more times before 2021. Three games before Christmas. One of them in the League Cup against Everton. The next one is Sheffield United at Bramwell Lane on the Thursday before Leeds United at Old Trafford on the Sunday. Laurie, we're going to talk about squad rotation. We're going to talk about squad depth. I also want to talk about journalist squad depth because I'm knackered. Are you knackered? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's it's the gig, isn't it? You know, we can't complain when we're allowed into football matches. It's uh, it's a bit of a privilege, but yeah, it's a frenetic period of action, the, the Christmas period, certainly. It's only in Manchester United 1930 and 31 campaign that a team has won or gained fewer points after 11 league games than Sheffield United at this current point in time. Sheffield United are looking bad. Laurie, what do you expect to see on Thursday? A similar diamond shape or maybe a 4-2-3-1, even the return of Paul Pogba yet again? I think he has got options. You, you look at Sheffield United's running results, one point so far is a real desperate state of affairs. And I think if you do, if you actually look at their starting 11, it is really a championship team that's been... You know, punching above its weight last season, the way that Chris Wilder set his, his side up, you know, the the interest in formation, the centre backs doing crazy things on the pitch, and I think it took a while for teams to figure that out. And that being said, you know, I think they're probably at about the level they really are at when you look at the individual quality of the players, and therefore United should go and win the game. And, and as Andy says, that that draw against City then becomes actually a decent result if you go and win your next game against Sheffield United and win against Leeds. You know, that the picture will look a lot rosier for United in the team in the uh, Premier League table. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how we'll set up, but I would like to see you know a few faces that we haven't seen. You know, I wonder if. It's the moment to bring Dean Henderson in, you know, against his former side. And I think his absence from the Sheffield United team has really been seen, the, the importance of him. I'm not saying that it's all down to him, that, that that's where they are now. Um, I think there was obviously going to be some regression after, uh, you know, such a good first season. But clearly the kind of, you know, the assured nature that he plays in between the, the sticks and, and the kind of vocality that he has. I think has affected Sheffield United not not having that there. So I wonder if, you know, Solskjaer will go, okay, now's the time to bring him in. Appreciate he didn't do it for the Man City game. He obviously felt ultimately that he wanted to go with the experience, but given you know the the fact that Dean Henderson is is there as a, as a rival to uh, to um, De Gea as a as a proper number one. I wonder if this is a, is a moment to to bring him in. It has to be a, a Man United victory there. They were obviously unlucky last season. Well, they were lucky last season to get back into the game really because they were absolutely <laughs> dreadful for that first forty five minutes. But in the end, they were unlucky to to not win the game with with a, such a quick fire spirited comeback and Ollie McBurney perhaps getting a little bit lucky with um, his equalising goal late on. But you don't want to write off Sheffield United. But the way they played against South. Southampton 3-0 a pretty straightforward victory for them it sort of shows that they're, they're not in the right place and, and United really need to take full advantage Andy you mentioned this last week about David De Gea after he made a interesting attempt at a save against a team that we will not name 
but has a link to a sports rink. Would you like Dean Henderson to make a start in the next two games against Sheffield United and Leeds? I think there's a, a strong case for it, but David De Gea kept a clean sheet in the derby and I think he will keep his place. If he would have made another mistake, then I suspect he would have lost his place. And I can see that Henderson is pushing, he's training well. Uh, David's mistakes in big games this year have become an issue. Obviously, Dean's going back against his former team. Chris Wilders is, is a big Sheffield United fan and I love his story. He went to games home and away. Then he started playing for the team. He used to ring up a radio station in Sheffield and put on a different accent and say that Chris Wilder was definitely worth a start in the first 11. And he was talking about himself. <laughs> and his best mates are the diehard Sheffield United lads who go everywhere. And he's got a lot of friends in Manchester. And I was told that when he was promoted last year, the one game he was looking forward to more than any other was taking his team, and they are his team, Sheffield United to Old Trafford. And he was so gutted when that actually happened and there were no fans there. He wanted to be part of a 75,000 crowd. I'm surprised how poorly they've done this season. But as Laurie said, they were a third-tier team when Chris took over. I watched Sheffield United play at Fleetwood Town in 2016 and they did really well to, to come up. They didn't actually spend a lot of money and their tactics were sussed. And I hope that they uh, stick with Chris Wilder. I think he's he's good for Sheffield United. He's good for, for the cities. And I hope he's very unhappy against Manchester United. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a bit unner- I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I've not got that much confidence in Man- Manchester United to, to just blitz them. Um, although at Old Trafford after the lockdown, it was one of the be- better performances. Mm. It's away from home. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, know, I know, but and, and you know there was that disaster last year, and it was a disaster where United got back into the match and then ended free all, and everybody was raging because there were no wins happening, and the game against Villa had been drawn as well. And and a win is vital if you, if you can't beat a team who's not not won a game so far in eleven or twelve. That's just not going to be. Um, good enough with Henderson he's pushing De Gea so he needs some form of reward for that mm-hmm. and maybe there's going to be a lot of games in the Europa League in the League Cup in the FA Cup but is that going to be enough especially when uh, De Gea is, isn't playing brilliantly I think he's done alright he stopped making those absolute howlers and you could argue that Maguire was as culpable against that team from Eastern Germany who we're not going to name <laughs> but but it's an issue and it's you know you're writing about it because it's an issue I really want to talk about Leeds and yeah what is a derby that hasn't been a derby for far too long Laurie you're going to be covering the Leeds game I understand you're going to be working on a big piece explaining why Manchester United and Leeds United have been at loggerheads for so long so I'm going to ask you this first why Leeds? Where's the beef? (laughs) This was something that I was trying to figure out myself so I'm doing a piece with Phil Hay who's obviously our renowned Leeds United um, guy and it sounds like he's got some really good stuff I've spoken to a few people already Clayton Blackmore being one of them who was in the team at the time of you know the early 90s when Leeds won the title you know against United you know when they really shouldn't have done and then Cantona came over the Pennines and you know did the business for United um and I mean when I was growing up they were 
they were the team that was, you know, them and Liverpool. Liverpool were number one, but Leeds were number two for me. Man City were kind of, you know, third because they weren't in the top flight, uh, you know, at that particular moment, or they weren't a threat. Whereas Leeds, you know, had that team, you know, with Rio Ferdinand, um, you know, where they where they reached the Champions League semi-finals and they were sort of a proper a proper outfit. And and also going there, you know, I went there once with my dad, and in fact, actually, to see the last Premier League game between United and. Um, and Leeds um, at Ellen Road where uh, Roy Keane scored a late winner with a header sort of six minutes from time and you had the whole uh, Lurpak stand uh, pointing at you calling you scum um, and both sets of fans call each other scum so that kind of tells you that, that the kind of <laughs> venom that, that is that is there and I don't know but this is what I was trying to figure out whether my experience was different to other people's you know of, of, of an older generation perhaps because one guy I spoke to uh, you, you know him, Andy. You know uh, Andy Walsh, who helped us with the Glazer piece. I, I sort of thought I'll pick his brains about what he thinks, and and for him it wasn't really that major a rivalry because um, you know he, he he sort of said that well you know it was in the in the nineties when it sort of you know in the Revie era when it sort of first started and, and kind of uh, uh, against Leeds's kind of style of football that, that United you know were kind of didn't like and then you know in the 90s again um it came up but obviously they got relegated in 2004 so it's been 16 years and so for his sort of broader point of view he didn't sort of see Leeds as, as that big arrival I also but but then again for me he said you know he said it's up to the individual supporter isn't it you know if they felt that that was a, a particular rivalry and and I suppose another aspect for me that kind of uh ignited the the kind of um the, the sort of to and fro was I went to university in Leeds and um, there was Ooh. one episode yeah well some people think I've got a Yorkshire accent which I don't know if <laughs> I was there for four years in the end so I don't know if that's sort of part of the uh, the, the fighting back from me that I'm sort of trying to say <laughs> no I am I am very much from from the other you know from the red half of, of the north but um uh, but uh, yeah I was there for the I, I went to a, a pub to watch in, in my first year I went to the pub to watch um, the Benfica game uh, in the Champions League where United got knocked out uh, in a group stage and there were sort of four old boy Leeds fans there and I was on my own because it was the first year at uni and I hadn't made any friends that were United Aww. fans so I sort of went I know yeah I went down on my own to watch the game and they were just you know they were giving it all the the kind of oh that's what you get and you know a few choice words about you know Munichs and what have you and and that just kind of really stuck home with me and I thought oh, I wish I could say something or, or kind of do something in response but I kind of felt well I'll probably get you know I'll probably get battered to be fair so I'll, I'll just but it kind of and, and that was the there was no no hold barred with one, what what fans would say about the others and obviously United aren't innocent in that um, in terms of sort of songs and I think that just kind of that that for me is what that rivalry is about and I, I don't know what you think Andy where it started or, or where it kind of was at its peak or I don't know where do you where do you rank Leeds as a particular team to, to kind of loathe for United when I was in my late teens um, and started going to all the games home and away, it was Leeds, Manchester City and Liverpool. They were the three who were the main rivals. T-shirts with I hate Leeds on were best sellers outside Old Trafford. The fanzines were full of cartoons and articles depicting every single Leeds fan as a sheep-shagging Yorkshireman. And <laughs> the vitriol came back the other way. Uh, historically, War of the Roses wasn't really a war. Industrial Revolution rivalry. Uh, Yorkshire had the the, co the the was weaving wool. Uh, Manchester was Cottonopolis. Manchester surged ahead. There was a, a, a social and civic pride in the rivalry. And then in football, Leeds as a football club um, were formed far later than most of the major clubs in in Britain. So it only really became 
a rivalry in the 60s when they had a top side in the 70s. But then they spent most of the 80s out of the top division. So it resurfaced with an absolute vengeance in the 1990s. And I can remember my first trip to Ellen Road at the start of 91. And everybody travelled by coach because it was uh, the safest way to get there, even though some of the United hooligans had attacked a pub full of Leeds fans. And we walked off the coach and walked underneath the motorway by the side of Ellen Road. And there were hundreds of us. And we had a really flimsy police escort. And we could see all these. I thought they were Neanderthals. I'm sure they thought the same about us. <laughs> and it, I was I was scared. They were singing YRA with a Yorkshire Republican army. Scum, 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 chanting at us. Uh, Munich was mentioned. And it was exhilarating and petrifying at the same time. I was 17. And like an absolute idiot, decided to shout Manchester <laughs> I, I didn't even get it out of my mouth before I was decked so I was on the floor and this I looked round and there's like three fat blokes looking at me and got into the ground eventually and I was at days that it took me 20 minutes into the game to realise which way Manchester United were, were attacking and it was a frightening day we were held in for 55 minutes after the match Objects were being thrown over. They just wanted to get us. They'd waited so long to get us. And they hated Manchester United, partly because most of the best players had left. Uh, Elland Road for, for Old Trafford, Joe Jordan, Gordon McQueen. In later years, obviously, um, Eric Cantona, Alan Smith. And Man United were the team that were winning everything. Leeds in 92 they did pip Manchester United to win the league. They had a great side under Howard Wilkinson, um, players like Gary Speed and David Batty. But the rivalry was absolutely fierce. And they'd come to Old Trafford, they'd all sing songs about Munich. And then after two lead supporters were killed in Istanbul, there were some United fans who used that in retaliation. So it was really unsavoury. It could be a very, very dangerous place to go. It had calmed... By the time Leeds went down, I think 2003, uh, 2004. But I'm glad Leeds are back. I love Bielsa as a coach. I find him fascinating. I think he's better mm-hmm. being in the in the Premier League. Leeds are a huge one-club um, city. I'd much rather wake up with the prospects of playing Leeds United than, than with respect somebody like um, a Brighton or a Bournemouth or a, or a Norwich. You always go for um, Bournemouth when you'd say this. <laughs> I know, and it's, I feel pretty tight on the four and a half thousand hardcore Bournemouth fans who've watched the team through all of their divisions, but I don't buy the romance in their billionaire Russian owner getting them up into <laughs> up into the Premier League. And I do apologise to the, to the four and a half thousand. I respect them a lot as Bournemouth fans. But yeah, Leeds is, Leeds is a big one. And I can't wait for the weekend. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This week, Minerino made brand new comments regarding Paul Pogba's situation where he said, I expressed what I think, my opinion, nothing sensational. I think that's clear. In England, they're very sensitive when you speak about Pogba. Now, the last time Minerola made comments about Paul Pogba, we lit all the beacons, got Laurie <laughs> in the lab, worked with Adam Crafton and others on this incredible athletic team and wrote the inside story on Paul Pogba at Manchester United and everything involved there. We got in contact with Paul Pogba's first ever agent. We charted his time in the academy and how this deal and signing did not quite go to the way that Manchester United fans or Paul Pogba himself would have wanted. Now Raul is saying we're oversensitive and Pogba probably won't leave in January, but will probably depart in the summer. Um, I'm going to throw this to you, Laurie, first, because you're the one who worked so hard on this article last week. What's Raul applying at? He's just a troll, isn't he? He's just a top, (laughs) top Twitter troll before Twitter trolls became a thing. And I mean, yeah, nothing sensational, he says, having sort of, you know, allowed this interview to go out on the eve of a uh, Champions League decider uh, where he talks about Pogba being unhappy and it being over for Pogba. I mean, it seems he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He's just sort of tickling the the uh, the threads again, and he's doing it, you know, hit and run, and then sort of walking away and go, nothing to do with me, you know, hands up, you know, kind of, uh, you know, total obliviousness. But you know, I don't think anyone's buying it. I mean, Andy also contributed hugely to the the piece that we did, so Andy can certainly talk on the bits that he um, helped me with. And, and Tom Wolver was the guy sort of doing the stats and kind of looking at the numbers. So it's, it's hopefully it's a full picture of of Pogba's time at United both sort of first time and second time and without meaning to be too critical of the guy you know we're trying to see it from all sides and and, and paint a full rounded picture but hopefully there's some new stuff in there for people to have a look at but yeah I don't think anyone anticipated I'm sorry I don't think anyone thought that that Raul was talking about January when he he said oh the next window I think everyone realised he was talking about the summer window but listen we'll see I mean he gave the interview because it was Tuto Sports Golden Boy Awards uh, and Raula a Raula client has won it four times out of the last 10 years and then so these awards were uh, Monday night and he, you know he's on stage again and he, he won best European agent so this is Tutor Sport giving him an award I wonder why he gave Tutor Sport the exclusive interview uh, and he actually looked like he'd, he'd sort of dressed up for the occasion he, he had his jeans and he had a, a nice uh, jumper on so United will just sort of know that it's Raula again speaking and listen he's allowed to he's his agent he can say what he likes but equally United can then take a judgment on that and um, you know it, they, they can act accordingly but um yeah i don't know what what did you think andy were you sort of surprised at, at more stuff from rollo or were you you know how, how do you view the whole situation i just think he's been trying to agitate manchester united so that his client can leave for a lower fee so that it becomes that much of a problem united just want to get shut of him most fans i think would like to see paul pogba leave the club said a few times there'd be no shortage of offers to take him to Manchester Airport if he decides to go. I don't think there's a huge queue of suitors. Absolutely not, uh, especially on the money that he's earning. The places he wanted to go to, Madrid and Barcelona, 
has discussed in the piece. They're going for younger players. They've got financial constraints themselves. It's sad that it's come to this. There are mitigating circumstances. Paul's actually done well when he's come on in the last couple of matches and there's a huge talent there, but he's been way too inconsistent. And it becomes a problem when, when he's aging. And obviously the, the player knows about that. Is speaking out. It wasn't the first time. This isn't isolated. And the timing, can, it was damaging before the game in that against the team we're not going to mention last week. And it was damaging after the break in Marbella last year, which had been a really productive break for United. Uh, Bruno had settled in and they went on to win that game away at Chelsea. Look, he's not happy. He doesn't want to be there. If he doesn't want to be there, then the best place is not for him to be there. And I, I do say it with regret because I was as excited as the rest when he joined United. United were not his first choice. Barcelona were, but they didn't have the money. And it was Real Madrid. It's to United's credit that they managed to get the deal done for that world record fee. Has he justified it? No, not even close. We do have one question from Praneet, uh, Praneet N on Twitter, who asks, do you think James Ward-Prowse would be a perfect replacement for Paul Pogba if Pogba was able to leave in the summer? Uh, I'm going to swap my Manchester United hat for my Southampton correspondent hat from last season and say they're very different players. Um, Theo Walker was recently in the news talking about how he thinks James Ward-Prowse is a better free kick taker than David Beckham. No, Theo. No. <laughs> James Ward-Prowse is a fantastic player. He's got a trajectory a little bit similar to Gareth Barry, in my opinion, where he's constant engine, can play three games a week. Secretly, quite a nice little snide. He would work at the base of a Manchester United defence, but I don't think he's quite got the elite balls winning skills that uh, Manchester United should be going for in the January transfer market. Q conversation about the January transfer market. We've got loads of questions. We've got one from Stefan going, uh, if we're going to sign players in January, who should we prioritise? We've got a question here from Kieran Stockton going, is there is our signings realistic for Manchester United in January transfer window? Laurie, you know more football agents than I know. What do you currently make of the January transfer window? at the moment yeah I love that we're uh, obviously we're not even in to January yet you know sort of three three weeks ahead of time and, and we're getting questions like this which is fair enough listen it's what fans want to know about you know is there any way of the squad improving in this coming window I think we saw uh, last year the fact that Bruno came in was very much a United were desperate for reinforcement desperate for that creative spark and obviously Igala coming in on, on deadline as well you know they needed an extra forward I don't think the situation's the same this window and therefore I think that will influence you know anything that United do Edward Wood is on record as saying that January window is a difficult window to do business in personally I, I think that's a slightly I don't know I, I wouldn't look at it that way I think you can certainly do good deals as we've seen with Bruno Fernandes but listen I think that also is a fair point you know he, he knows you know the the uh, the, the way that the, the United look at it at least so you can't discount what he's saying on that point of view I personally wouldn't I wouldn't hold your breath for any signings by United that being said if something comes up they, they might well look at it I was interested by David Orn Steen's column this week which mentioned Deo Upamecano and United cooling their interest on him and, and, and the fact that Bayern Munich are now in sort of you know the prime position to, to get him I, I sort of thought he might be one that could come in January uh, if uh, the, the team that he plays for which we, we obviously can't mention uh, if, if they had gone out of the Champions League rather than uh, Manchester United but obviously with them being in the knockout phase then I guess you know he'd like to see that through but clearly he's going to be someone on the move but you know so that's what that's one to watch I think David's update was was an interesting one I'm not really hearing to be honest you know any 
impetus, any kind of desire, any kind of you know major moves for United to make a signing in January. But as we know, things can change. Things can change. And listeners, rest assured, we will be doing a series of sensible transfers that will go out towards the end of this year and the start of next, where we try and predict and perhaps mention some places in the United squad that could do with some reinforcing. We've got some questions now about the Europa League draw. Manchester United drew Real Sociedad in the round of 32. There's an extra round of knockouts in the Europa League. I must admit, I completely missed the Champions League draw because Manchester United weren't in it. And then by the time it got announced, I went, oh goodness, I better log on and check the Europa League stuff. So it's Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad are currently one of the heavy hitters in La Liga this season. They've drawn their last six games in all competitions. Uh, most recently on Sunday they drew one all with Ibar um, but they are currently first in La Liga their current talisman is David Silva the one who was really good for the other team in Manchester uh, and they also have Adnan Yanezai who is playing pretty well eight appearances two goals and one assist last time I checked Andy you're the man in Spain when sometimes I know you're all over the world um, what can you tell me about Real Sociedad and San Sebastian Stadium? San Sebastian is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and I don't say that lightly. Um, Manchester United first played there. The only time they played there was in 2013. Unfortunately, that coincided with the first storm of the winter coming in off the Bay of Biscay. And uh, I went for a run the morning of the game, and it, the beach was completely empty apart from one other person. And I had to turn back because the winds, the waves, it was just a horrendous day. And... I saw that the, the other person was looking like he was doing the same. And as I got a bit closer, I saw it was Phil Neville. So mad dogs in English, were they? <laughs> were you keeping Dave. pace with him? No, I, I could just see him from a distance. Oh. And uh, I didn't know it was him. And then I got closer to him and, uh, all right, all right, yeah. <laughs> what are we both doing here? We both had good <laughs> intentions. And the stadium's been redeveloped since then. Fantastic stadium, seats 42,000 now. The food is among the best in Spain probably not going to be able to have fans there. We've got a very, very good youth system. Uh, traditionally, they only use Basque-born players. They had to change that in the 1980s because Athletic Bilbao were getting the best uh, Basque players. So what did they do? Did they sign players from outside Spain or France? No, they bought three Englishmen. John Aldridge, Kevin Richardson and Dalian Atkinson. And there was big opposition to them signing foreigners when that happened, but they were they were a success, especially John Aldridge. This season, well, they play Barcelona away on Wednesday night, so that's obviously a tough game for for anybody. Uh, David Silva's been an inspired signing. Uh, they've got a good young team. They've got a very good youth system. Janazai's not the star. He, he's in and out, but he, he's been a success there. Uh, they their biggest star of recent years was Antoine Griezmann, who obviously went on to um, Atletico. They also brought 6,000 fans to Old Trafford last time, which is the joint record, along with another Bash team who came in 2012. I'd still say United are slight favourites if they're going to take the competition seriously. And Ollie said that, that United are going to, but it will be very tough. It's probably the hardest draw that United could mm -hmm. have got. Good team, great stadium, absolutely fantastic city. In normal circumstances, it would be a wonderful European away because of COVID. And in February, the north of Spain, it can be pretty rough. So we might get the same weather as we had last time. I doubt I'll bump into Phil Neville on the seafront. David Moyes went to manage at Real Sociedad after being at Manchester United. And I went over there several times to see him. He was living in the, the, the best hotel in town. 
He didn't really speak much Spanish and he loved the city and he used to walk around and he got some good results. He beat Barcelona, but then results uh, went against him and, and he lost his job there. So it's um, I was pleased when the draw was made, but then I thought wow, it would be much nicer to go there in the semi-final. Like United mm. played in Spain in the semi-final of the Europa League in 2017 at Vigo. And it was one of the best ever. It was like beach weather and all the fans were on the beach. We're not going to get that in February. So hopefully United can go through and then play in some more uh, beach-friendly destinations further on in the competition. There is a Champions League spot for winning Europa League. So to close, one question. It's from JB at MiracleJ90 on Twitter. I'm going to give this to you, Laurie. Should Manchester United go all out in the Europa League or focus on challenging for the league title, given how unpredictable results have been across the league? Yes, yeah, tough one, isn't it? I think wait and see in February. I'm allowed to say that. I'm allowed to cop out and uh, <laughs> and sort of plead the fifth for a second. I just think if United are actually in the in the hunt when it comes to that fixture, so they've got you know a few a few games in the in the Premier League before then. I just think it, it, you have to weigh it up, and you, you, you might have to just realise that okay, the, the, you know, it's thirty-two round of thirty-two in, in the Europa League, so you've got an extra couple of games anyway. Just just balance it out, and I, I know what Andy says there. If you do that against Real Sociedad, the way they're playing this season, you could well get beaten. Um, but United do have more depth in the squad than they did last season so more quality in depth so you sort of think is there a couple of games a couple of lineups where United can actually rotate a little bit and uh, and still beat Sociedad um, you know I, I, that would probably be what I'd like to see um, listen I'm not going to say United shouldn't be going for trophies you know I think if, if Solskjaer finished this season with the Europa League it would still be considered a success um, you know it would be Champions League qualification and, and a piece of silverware and, and, and sign of progress but I just think with the the way the Premier League's gone this season, you know, with the, t- the points total, with it, with it being congested, it'd be interesting to see the picture come, you know, that late February fixture. Donny van der Beek, Dean Henderson, your time has come. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it for us this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Laurie. Nice one. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. And thank you, Andy. Uh, where are, well, I didn't ask you at the start, but whereabouts are you in the world exactly this time? En route to Great Britain, Manchester, England. I'm at the, I'm at Bradford City on Saturday, um, Old Trafford Sunday, and then I've got to go and watch a team called Arsenal next week. They're playing against a team called Manchester City, and then Everton uh, against Manchester United at Goodison. So I've got a lot of games coming up, but that's what we live for. That is what we live for. And if you're about in Manchester, let's all go for a socially distanced cup of tea soon. Right. That's all from us, listener. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Talk of the Devils. We're going to be back sometime next week for an end of year special. See you then. Mm-hmm.